Pastor Xavier Reese and the inevitable growing pains in the midst of transformation. The things that God has prepared us for are for our good in our transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's workmanship. And some of those things that we kick about, we cry about, we wouldn't give all the money in the world for that experience in exchange because we see what God can do. If He died to save me, do you think He might have my good in store now? Of course He does. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. And when the Apostle Paul was preparing to minister the gospel to Jerusalem, a city hostile to the claims of Christ, he was able to look past the unknown dangers and hold nothing back because of the assured enablement of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Xavier applies the simple truth that it's the victory through sufferings that transform a believer to be more like Christ. Let's listen. Paul has um, has declared to us the pastor's priorities in regarding a service in the gospel by way of his final meeting with the Ephesian elders, as you know here in Miletus. He told us that his service was first to God. Then he told us that his service was to the church. And then he told us that his service was to the sinner. That's always a priority. God, the church, sinners. God, the saints, sinners. And whenever pastors lose that priority, the ministry becomes tweaked. It becomes contorted. But whenever there is a commitment to godly priorities, remember that sufferings are inevitable in the life of the believer. And so Paul the Apostle here reveals how he is able to experience and overcome the sufferings in his own life in these verses. He's talking to these elders. He's leaving them. He's not going to see them again. He's handing the church over to them at this point. And remember that Paul was called to a personal life of suffering, which the Lord Jesus Christ communicated to him on the road to Damascus in chapter 9 of Acts, verse 15 and 16. Now, there are some people that God calls to sufferings. But when he does that, he enables them. All right? So God's not out there to make some people's life miserable. Whatever God has for my life is the best for my life. I tell you all the stuff that's happened to me, the accidents, the things that I've had, people go, man, hey, he, he quizzed me. I'll be able to handle it, and you'll be able to handle what he's called you to do. He does want us to cry with each other, to encourage one another, you know what I mean? To laugh with one another. But he enables us. That's the important thing. A life of suffering could be labeled service of a self-sacrifice. And through the immediate context here, it is related to Paul the Apostle, but certainly we don't want to pass up the practical application and principle for each one of us. Because we all go through certain sufferings and trials and everything, and again, God equips us and He has enabled us for that. Otherwise, He would be the God of confusion and contradiction. And so there are three spiritual principles here given to us by Paul in these verses that not only allow him to endure, but to be victorious in his sufferings. Uh, it's not just biting the bullet and getting through it. it it's, it's going through it and coming out changed and victorious in Christ Jesus. And so let me read here verse 22 to 24 and I'll give you the three principles. 22 says, And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. 
But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here are the three principles that made him endure and be victorious in his sufferings. First of all, the first part of 22, Paul was spiritually bound. He was spiritually bound. Secondly, Paul was spiritually prepared, the rest of 22 and 23. And Paul was spiritually conscious, as we're going to see in 24. In other words, he had his full faculties. Very, very important. So let's begin here with Paul was spiritually bound. Listen to the words. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Paul was a man whose spirit was bound to the spirit of God. This cannot be missed through the book of Acts. The reference to spirit is considered by most scholars to refer to Paul's own spirit in contrast to the Holy Spirit in the next verse. But I I don't know if I really buy that completely, though I do make a distinction because I already know that Paul is being directed by the spirit of God. And I'll show you this. Man has a body, as you know, to communicate in his life that is very temporal. It's a tense, 2 Corinthians 5.1. So God has given me this body to communicate so I can move my hands and everything else. But it's not really this body. It's the spirit who is in me that's, that's the real me. If I put my hand in the glove and move it around, you wouldn't think that it's the glove that's moving. It's the hand in the glove. So this body is temporal. It's a tent. But God has also given me a soul, intellect, emotion, and wills. But all of those are subject to the fall, to the curse. Under sin nature. And so, without Christ and before Christ, I'm moved by my emotions, my intellect, and my own will. I rule my own life. And the bent is towards darkness. Though I do have a potential for good, my bent is towards darkness. But man also has a spirit through which God communicates himself and carries his relationship to man once a person is born again. Jesus told that to the woman of Samaria and John uh, 4.24, God is the Spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so it is through my spirit that God revives me. He makes me born again. And now I have a relationship with God. And we are one because of His grace, as we'll see. Now the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8.16 says. So the Holy Spirit of God runs my life, directs my life, checks my life. He says, don't go there. Be careful. Don't do that. Do this, and I'm supposed to keep my account short. Abide in Him. Let Him direct my life through the Word of God. Now, notice the clear implication being that Paul's spirit was one with the Holy Spirit of God here. Now, Paul has been very clear as has been directed by the Holy Spirit throughout the three missionary journeys, beginning with his call in chapter 13, 2, him and Barnabas, and you can follow him through the three journeys, and we read them over and over and over again. Paul, in his departure from Ephesus, after the, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, it is recorded that when these things were accomplished, there in Acts uh, 19.21, and these things were when all the occult people were being transformed and born again, and they took their books and burned them. And the word of God prevailed. He says, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Paul already in Acts 19.21 had been told and directed by the Spirit of God that he was going to go to Jerusalem and end up in Rome also. This was God's plan for him, God's direction. This is God's orders for him. He's a soldier. As a soldier, you go to boot camp, you go to uh, AIT, whatever it is afterwards, your advanced training, and then they give you your orders. You don't choose them, and you obey them. This was Paul. 
The definite article is found here in the Greek, which normally indicates the Holy Spirit. And so we don't want to make a big to-do between Paul's spirit and the Holy Spirit because he's being bound by the Spirit of God and he's already received the direction by the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit who's directing him. You know what I mean? So you have to be careful here. Now, notice Paul was a man submissive to the will of God. The word bound there means to bind, tie, or wine. Having the idea of being overpowered and compelled without being controlled against his will, but rather submitting his will. Very important. Some people think, well, God forced. No, God doesn't force you to do anything. God is the perfect gentleman, as we'll see. The tense here is the perfect participle, emphasizing the state of condition of Paul. Literally, it says this. Listen carefully. Having been bound by the Holy Spirit's revelation and direction, compelled, directed, pressed forward would be a better translation. This divine necessity was still upon Paul to go first to Jerusalem. Why first Jerusalem? He had the gift for the poor saints. He had been making the collection during this third missionary journey. He's got to drop it off. He wants to be there before the day of Pentecost. The word is used in various ways in scripture. Let me give you some. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 29, Except he bind the strong man. The strong man, Satan. Mark 11, 2, Jesus said, You shall find a coal tied to his disciples. The coal will be tied to a pulse, to a pole. John 18, 12, John says, They took Jesus bound as they led him away, the soldiers. It's use of Paul's captives in Acts 9, 2. That's the word here. But we should never think of the Holy Spirit as one who forces us to do Anything against our will. This is important. He's a perfect gentleman, as I said. He calls, enables, he pleads, but he never, never forces anyone to do anything against their will. We should never think of the Holy Spirit as one who obliterates our personality either. The Holy Spirit does not change me to be something or someone weird. God doesn't make you weird. The Holy Spirit doesn't cause me to be one person in the pulpit and then another one when I talk to you off the pulpit. I speak to you in the same tone, in the same passion, the same thing when I'm off the pulpit, when I pray for your stuff like that. I don't get up in the pulpit saying, God, say it, and you go into all kinds of things and I blame the Spirit for it. No, that's not, that's not God, that's me. You understand? And we misrepresent God many times, giving people a wrong understanding what the Holy Spirit is. The anointing of the Holy Spirit does not work like that. For that only brings attention to the vessel that is not consistent with Scripture or the work of the Holy Spirit. People get caught up with the person rather than the work of God in their hearts. We should never blame the Holy Spirit for our carnal conduct or misrepresentation of Him through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are no credentials for spirituality. I hope you know that. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they were 100% beef. Carnal. They had all the gifts. Gifts are simply gifts. And they're not for you. They're for the body. So you can be carnal. God gives you a gift. And if you exercise, the body will receive the benefit. Even if you exercise out of the wrong motive, the body will still receive the benefit. But you won't receive no reward because it's carnal. You understand? So never allow anybody to present their spiritual gifts as credentials for spirituality or maturity. 
You can have gifts and be totally carnal. The Corinthians are an epitaph of that declaration. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not earned, but they're given severally as God pleases according to His will, 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen, as the many parts of your body, serving the body. In fact, Paul says in Corinthians 14, 32 and 33, that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets and God's not the author of confusion. So in other words, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. I have control. I can say no to the spirit. I can yield to the spirit. The spirit's not going to make me speak in tongues and roll me through the ground. And I say, I couldn't help myself. Liar. The Bible says... The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. It's flesh. The Bible teaches inspiration, not perspiration. A lot of churches think if there's perspiration, that's inspiration. No. Notice Paul was able to endure sufferings because he was a spirit-bound man led and directed by the Holy Spirit. Let's take a little tour. Acts 13, 2. He and Barnabas are called by the Spirit of God, separated to the work of ministry. In Acts 13.4, they were sent by the Holy Spirit to Cyprus and Asia Minor. In 16.6-10, the Holy Spirit forbade them to preach in Asia, the regions of Galatia, Bithynia, and sent them to Macedonia. Got the vision of man of Macedonia. In Acts 19.21, as we... Or 18, 9 through 10, the Lord himself told Paul to remain at Corinth, remember, and not to fear. He had many people there. Paul was freaking out. He appeared to him. And then, of course, the one that we gave you, Acts 19, 21. Paul, once again, was led by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia, Achaia, to go to Jerusalem. And so Paul was now a co-participant, yielding to the leading of God's Holy Spirit. Paul was... Not a self-willed man. You, you can't get that from his writings. Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And lust doesn't have to do only with sex. It means a strong desire for anything that's contrary to the Word of God. The context will tell you what that strong desire is for. And then verse 17 says, gives us the reason, it's simply that for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It is the Holy Spirit who tells me no. It is the Holy Spirit who tells me, eh, eh, don't go there. It's the Holy Spirit who says, you better humble yourself. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction. It's the Holy Spirit that draws me to confess my sin to Christ. You understand? But it doesn't force me. I yield or I reject. I can grieve the Spirit of God. Now notice Paul was like Jesus, who was bound to go to Jerusalem by the will of the Father to suffer. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested of the devil in Luke 4.1. As you know, literally driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness in preparation. Jesus entered Jerusalem on the cold, bound by the Spirit in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy, Zechariah 9.9, Matthew 21. Jesus was led to his destination. Luke twenty two fifty four says, Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. All part of God's plan. Paul sends the um, 
obligation and responsibility laid upon him. And it's made very clear as he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17. says, Woe to me if I preach not the gospel. Whenever you read the word woe in the New Testament, I've told you often, it's not because he's riding a horse. Woe means judgment. Isaiah says, Woe is me, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. He understood the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what has been lost in the church today. We have lowered Jesus down to be our buddy. And not our Savior. He's our Savior. He does call us friends. I want to recognize that. But we've lost the fear of God. We've made Him one like many others. And men and women have lost the fear of God. They have forgotten that He's holy. And that we're sinful. Jeremiah, remember, was called to sufferings. uh, And um, it got so bad at the one time that he says, You know, I'm going to quit talking for you. Because every time I open my mouth, I get in trouble. And he says, the word of God burning my heart like a fire. I couldn't do nothing but speak the word of God. Jeremiah 20, verse 7 and 9. Because he was called and enabled. And God was faithful to those sufferings. The Scottish preacher James S. Stewart declared, quote, It is always upon human weakness and humiliation, not human strength and confidence, that God chooses to build his kingdom. And that he can use us not merely in spite of our ordinariness, and helplessness and disqualifying infirmities, but precisely because of them. It is a thrilling discovery to make, and it can revolutionize our missionary outlook. When we realize that God uses us because we're so bad and we're so weak, then we can be effective. But when we get so caught up with our, our abilities, we get ourselves in trouble, our sufficiencies. The believers to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit of God, as you know, Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. It is a choice, but not an option for the Christian life, especially for pastors and leaders. It says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with this Holy Spirit. It is a command, an imperative, present, continue to continue to be continued to be filled. Over and over again. Not a one-time experience. His will is included in that. And when we don't, then we will do our own will. There is a partnership that goes on between God and man. In the new life. In the ministry of the kingdom. Paul the apostle, as he writes to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. Declares it. He says, therefore, my beloved. As you have always obeyed, not In my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of what? His good pleasure. It is a willful joining, submitting to, and following the will of God. Even as in marriage, there is a mutual submitting to one another to do the will of God as Christians. There is a dying to self. You show me a marriage that doesn't die to self on one side or the other, you've got, you've got World War III. It's a battle of the wills. That's the problem with marriage without Christ. And that's what makes marriage difficult in Christ. <laughs> because of our will, our selfishness. Of course, the context of Philippians 2, 12 and 13 is the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5, he begins, Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus, that of a servant. He emptied himself. He didn't think himself 
uh, uh, to rob God of glory in being equal with God. And he took on the form of a servant and he emptied himself. And so highly is he exalted because he was willing to go to death on the cross that a name was given to him above every other name that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The mind of a servant. Do you understand? Paul's exhortation to the Philippians was this in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. Now what's my part? To abide in Christ. To grow in Christ. To depend on Christ. To die to self. To keep my account short. That's my responsibility. He will come finish that work. I have his word on it. The prophet Zechariah said it best by a word to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Holy Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4.6 The Lord of hosts is the captain of the armies of heaven. Either you are working under his orders or you're working against him. You're fighting for him or you're fighting against him. He's never lost a battle. <laughs> and he never has to take an account of how big the other army is. He's the captain of the armies of heaven. Paul was a spirit-bound man. This is the first thing he tells us. He's telling to the Ephesian elders. He's handing the church over to them. Now secondly, notice the principle here, verse the rest of 22 and 3. Paul was spiritually prepared. Not knowing the things... That will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations wait me. Now, notice Paul did not know specifically the things that awaited him there in verse 22. Those things that would happen to him there. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Too often we can worry about things that will never happen and we sacrifice the peace and the joy of the Lord in our lives. But thank God, at least we were, you know. We did our part. No. And when I don't walk in the Spirit, and I don't, I don't understand the Word or give myself to the Word, then I will worry. I will be worrying and being anxious about things that I really am losing time and energy. And unless I am walking in obedience to God, being filled with the Spirit of God, then I will worry. I will be anxious. I should be able to sleep sound at night as a Christian, leaving those things at the Lord's feet. And it's a warfare, but we have to deal with it all the time, don't we? At other times, we imagine things much worse than what God has in store for us. As if God's up there thinking of the worst thing so he can lay it on us. Let's see, how can I make this guy squirm? It's a, it's a, it's a contorted concept of God. If he died to save me, do you think he might have my good in store now? <laughs> of course he does. The things that God has prepared us for are for our good and our transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, unto good works, created and prepared before the world was. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of Jesus Christ from day to day and some of those things that we kick about we cry about and we just threaten God that we're going to quit and all this after we get through with them and we go out through the dark tunnel on the other side where the light is we are more like Jesus and less like us and that's always better and though we kick and we yell and we threaten all along once we come out and we see the change we wouldn't give all the money in the world for that experience in exchange 
because we see what God can do. Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating the important, simple truth of God's purpose in suffering. Now, there's much more to this study to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message, and the title you want to ask for is The Pastor's Call to Sufferings. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study a leader in your church or Bible study would appreciate hearing, too, when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Pastor's Call to Sufferings, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. No one enjoys suffering, but then why is there reason to rejoice? And that's coming up next time on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 